He's worthy, huh? Is that a good way to start off 2019? I mean, come on. He is, he's worthy. He's transformative. He's the promised one from all of creation. I mean, the Bible is pretty clear that he, in him all things were created. Through him all things were created. That is overwhelming when you think about it, isn't it? Is that true? Is that true? Of course, we're living into that at Church at the Red Door. You may be here for the first time, and you know, you're not even sure that God exists. We welcome you. We love you being here. We, there has to be kind of a safe place where you can come and ask some of these hard, tire-kicking kind of questions about reality and about, about who Jesus was and, and, and God his Father and what he said about God his Father. I mean, these are important things, and this is what we're going to attempt to do in 2019, each week, all week especially as we meet off in various groups, come together and think deeply about, about Jesus and his claims. I was watching a little something the other day. It was, I think it was all the way back from 2011, and, and Pastor Rick Warren, who's over uh, on the coast over here in Southern California, and they were asking him about a, a very controversial topic. And he said, you know, what I always try to say is I said, well, I have kind of put all my, pushed all my chips, so to speak. I don't think he used that language, but I've kind of bet my whole future on Jesus. And this is what Jesus said about this topic, rather than us arguing back and forth. And I'm just here, that's only really the purpose of Church at the Red Door, to say, look, this is what Jesus said about life and existence. And when you think about that, you say, well, I either have to camp with Jesus or I reject Jesus. I don't, we really can't. You have to. You're forced into that situation. And that's what we'll continue to look at this morning as we see Paul's prayer. Uh, and we continue this uh, foray into the book of, uh, to the Ephesians. I want to say this. I'm excited about uh, you being here because I know that many of you with only a 1030 service all the way through December, some of you had to get up and then wait eight hours before service started. So I know you're excited about starting a little earlier. I didn't know that we would have anybody here after Washington's uh, performance and the Seattle Seahawks. And I know about three quarters of you from Washington this time of year. So my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to you. But as a, uh, a former Texan, I do apologize. <clears throat> All right, we do need to pray now. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the privilege to meet. We thank you for this growing community. After two years, Lord, just to see our family grow like it has is just awesome. I mean, it's just, I feel like each day I grow closer to those that I already knew and I get to meet new friends each day, Lord. We just pray, we come together and we want to think about you today. We want to think about your words. We want to grab, Lord, grab our attention through the power of the Holy Spirit. Speak to us uniquely, each one of us. Speak to us this morning. Impact our lives. Lord, we don't want to be entertained. We want to, we want to hear from you. And so, Father, would you do that for us? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to finish out this first section of the book, the letter to the Ephesians. If you'll remember, the first three chapters were really about life, the mystery of Jesus, the mystery of Gentiles coming into the family, the kind of the plan of salvation. I mean, it is a, it is a huge theological treatise, this first three chapters. And then we're going to see a shift, and we'll start that next week in chapter 4. Well, if all that's true, now what do we do about that? And then this is kind of how we live, and the, the, the next three chapters are going to be very much about that. But he closes with a very powerful prayer. He actually started the prayer a little earlier, and then it looked like he almost got side, sidetracked. And then he's coming back to this kind of culminating prayer 
about this big mystery that he's laid out. I mean, he's laid out this mystery that's overwhelming. I mean, he's just saying this is, this is what the prophets and the why these men were seen for hundreds and hundreds of years, and Jesus is the fulfillment, and then the mystery is that this is the whole world. This is the Gentiles, this is the Jews, this is the whole world. Jesus came to save the world, and that was the mystery that Paul began to talk about. And then he's closing in this prayer. Let's look at verse 14 and then read through 21. And then we'll come back and I want to break this prayer down. I want to think deeply about this prayer. I, I, you know, I, many of you, I know you've talked to me, you struggle with prayer. Prayer is difficult. It's difficult for me. And I know that's embarrassing to say as your pastor, but sometimes prayer is difficult. The mind wanders. It's difficult to stay tuned into what God's saying. And then all of a sudden you're thinking about so many different things question is, how do we pray? Well, we've talked a number of years back. Uh, we talked very deeply about the Lord's Prayer, and we went into great detail about that. But this is one of Paul's prayers, and I love it. Listen to the language. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Notice his posture in prayer. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, that is powerful. That's, in some ways, you'd say, well, that's a run-on sentence, Paul. You, you, did, you covered too much there in such a short period of time. But we're, let's go back and break this down because the language sounds powerful and full, and, but to break it down, it's easy to read through something like that and go, yeah, yeah, and then what did it say? I don't remember. But it was powerful, but somehow I just didn't quite comprehend the fullness of it. The first place that we see, he's just saying, look, I'm taking a posture here. I bow my knees before the Father. And then he says, in every family on earth and in heaven, every family derives its name. I was taught we have a group of men that meet Quinta Country Club on Thursday mornings. And this last week, I just alluded to uh, Psalm 100, and there's only a few verses there. But the middle verse right in between it just says that God is our creator and we have not created ourselves. I mean, there's a point at sometimes, I think often we live like we are self-created beings. Somehow, we, we, we even use the language, don't we? He's a self-made man. You know, he, you know, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You've heard the language and we can use all the little hackneyed cliches. But here's a picture of just saying, no, I bow my knees, all families in heaven and on earth. Now, that doesn't mean just human families. Most theologians believe the heavenly families are referenced even the angelic realm. And I even think about Isaiah chapter 40 where he says every star is named. We don't even know how many universes we have out there. Some speculate there are now well over a trillion universes, given what we're seeing in the deep space as, as space is what you've heard me talk about before in terms of the Hubble telescope. Trillions of galaxies, how many stars? It's just incalculable, the number of stars. And yet the Bible has the audacity to say that, that God the Father names each one of them. He is creator, sustainer, and that's Paul's, that's Paul's posture here as he goes into this prayer. I mean, we are completely and utterly dependent upon the creator of the universe. 
And so we bow before you. I mean, it's just the only really appropriate place to be, and that's what worship is. That's what worship is. Even, I don't care if it's on a video, if it's on somebody with a guitar, or whether you're just singing a song as you head to work in the morning. Worship is just taking the posture, and I'm telling you, I can worship with anybody. I can worship with music I don't really care for. I can worship with, it doesn't matter, as long as it's a, a posture of He's creator, and I am the created. And that's what Paul does here in this, first, this very first part of this prayer. And then he says, And I want him to grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man. Now, so he's talking, his first prayer is, he's going to go really talk about a few things. He's going to talk about strength. He's praying for their strength. He's praying for their faith. He's praying for them to understand the depths of God's love and then to commensurately walk in that kind of love. And then he's talking about being filled to the fullness of God. We're going to talk each, about each one of those. First of all, what does it mean to be strengthened? And why do we need to be strengthened? Well, he's praying for their strength related to God's riches. Now, first of all, you have to think. Now, we, we are in a place where we show off stuff. This, is a, this, this whole valley is a place of kind of showing off our stuff, you know. We talked a little bit about that before. This is kind of a place where we do that. But really, all, we've, all, we're, re, all we're, we're really doing is we're trying to grab stuff and we remake it into a car or into a house or into something. And we take what has already been created. Now, out of God's riches, it's not only that, but it's everything that God is about. Everything that is what we'll see later, the fullness of God. God's riches are so deep and so profound, and they go way beyond the material realm. And he's saying, I want to, out of what God has, out of all of what he owns, I want you to be strengthened out of his stuff, so to speak. Not just strengthened relative to somebody else. I don't want to just be relatively more powerful. I don't want to be, I want relative to God. I want out of his depth and in his stuff. Psalm 105 verse 4 simply says, seek the Lord and his strength, his strength. Seek his face continually. Seek his face continually. I'm wanting to be, if I'm going to be strengthened, I don't want to be, I don't want to be just like Mike. That was the old, uh, you know, just do it kind of Nike stuff, be like Mike and all that. Michael Jordan, the great Chicago Bull. You know, I want to, I mean, if I was playing basketball, I'd prefer to be more like Mike than I would, you know, be like me, of course. But the, the reality is I need strength that goes way beyond any human being that I know. I need a kind of strength that draws on. I mean, some of you are going through things right now. They say, look, I, even my best friend, there's nobody that can offer me anything right now. I am in such grief. I am desperate, desperate for God. I, I need to draw on his strength. That's what Paul's praying. You know, have you ever thought about, I struggle to pray for people. You know, people, and people come to me often and go, well, how can I pray for you? And can I just tell you right now, this is how you can pray for me. This whole prayer is how you can pray for me. Break it down. You want to truly pray for your pastor? You want to pray for leadership here? You want to pray for... I'm just telling you, if you want to pray for me, pray this for me. Pray that the strength that happens in ministry comes from God's riches, not my riches. Not from the depth of my training, not from the depth of my, you know, experiences. Please, God, no. Let it be God's strength. And that's what he's praying for. I pray that you'd be strengthened from God's riches. Secondly, he says, I want you to be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that, being strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit? 
I mean, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, listen to the language of Jesus right before he sends back to the Father. He says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The kind of strength that you need is God's strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that word in the Greek there, uh, dunamis, is really a picture of dynamite. It's where we kind of get our, etymologically, where we get our word from dynamite. It's a, it's a powerful force. It's, it also denotes kind of moral excellence, uh, fullness, ability, influence, all those things. All the, the power of the Holy Spirit is God's power in us. But a lot of people say, well, look, I, I can't. I can't invite somebody to this deal. You know, I can't, I can't share the gospel. I can't. Well, of course you can't. That's kind of the point in this prayer, that you'd be strengthened from God's power. And that's why Jesus used language. Don't worry about what you're going to say. When I, you're going to come before kings and governors as he was talking to, to his disciples. He, don't, don't worry about what you're going to say. In the moment that you needed this power, this, this, these words to, to frame are going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't prepare in advance what you're going to say. In other words, all we are really is a conduit. If you ever hear anything, I don't care if it's Pastor Paul or whoever, myself or somebody in your group or Lynx Fellowship or anything, anything that you hear that's, that moves you and says, wow, this draw, drew me closer to, to, to God, can I just tell you, it's not the conduit. It's not any of us. It's the power of the living God. It's his power. It's his dunamis. In you, in us, this powerful influence. And that's what Jesus was saying. Go back and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Every time we baptize somebody, we always, I tell all the pastors, I don't care who it is, whether we just baptized 17 people in the Jordan in Israel a few weeks back. And I was, guys, here's what we do. Pastor Paul and Chris are both lay hands on them and just ask them to be filled. Once they come up out of the water, just be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't let this become, you know, one of these theological things in the second field. Don't, don't worry about all that. Just constantly be asked to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's strength for the inner man. Ezekiel 36 saw this coming, and he knew it was going to be an interior thing, not an exterior thing. There are plenty of people today with power on the outside, but very little influence, dunamis, you know, real dynamite on the inside. In fact, Jesus would often say, you are like whitewashed tombstones to the religious leaders of his time, but on the inside you are full of what? Dead men's bones. There's no dunamis on the inside of you. It looks good on the outside. You look very religious and put together, but on the inside you're dying on the inside. Ezekiel had seen, now again, this is 600 years in advance of Jesus. Many of you will know this well. I quote it all the time. It's one of the most powerful verses in all of the Old Testament. When I look at this, I see this promise he says, Be, moreover, I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit where? Within you, the inner man, Ezekiel 36, 26. I'm going to remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit where? Within you, in your inner man, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you'll be careful to observe all of my ordinances. This was the picture of the new covenant. It's not you going to be following a bunch of rules and regulations. I'm actually going to be doing something so powerfully on the inside of you. You're going to be strengthened in your inner man. Now, does that something get you excited? I mean, in the end, I mean, 
I know growing up, we, just, we, we tend to think if I can just get to here, you know, and I, with my even girls, I think, you know, they set certain things, if I can just get married or if I can just get a job or if I can just get something and then they, they, they're going to meet these thresholds at, at some point and, or if I can just get a house or if I can just get a, a new car that doesn't break down. I mean, all those things are nice to have, but in the end, it still leaves you with the same person on the inside. Who's on the inside? What's the interior look like? You want to pray for me? Pray for my strength. You want to pray for your family? Pray for their inward man. Pray for the strength of the living God out of his glorious riches, not out of just to be strengthened. I can go to the, I can go to the gym. I can lift weights. I can work these old, tired, 55-year-old muscles of mine. I can do that as much as I want, but it doesn't do anything for the interior. This is a God thing. It's a prayerful thing. Pray for the strengthening of your inner man. So we see a from, a through, and a to. We see this being from God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to you. That's the strengthening. You can hear the language. This is an extraterrestrial. This is not of terra firma. This is not of earth. This is a foreign power, foreign to our rebellion, but in Christ we're reconciled to God, and now this power flows from God through the power of the Holy Spirit and to us. It's transformative. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. The mystery, too, is that it wasn't just for Jews. It was also for non-Jews. It's for the whole world itself. He was also praying for their faith. The second portion of this, he says, I, you know, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, through faith. What is it about faith? Well, faith is both given and faith is also acquired. You know, the Bible's pretty clear if you see 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And this is talking about to the church. If you're part, if you've been baptized into Christ and you are a follower of Jesus, you have a variety of gifts, but by the same Spirit. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. In some ways, faith is a given thing. Romans 12, same thing. Each, each of us have been given a measure of of faith. We see that also as we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It just says, You were saved by grace through faith, and that itself is a gift of God. So faith is a given thing, it is given to us by God. While you were yet dead in your transgressions and sins, Christ came, and that faith had to be given. It had to be given. So God gives us faith. But I'm also convinced it's also something we can continually acquire and build upon. I'm Some theologians might believe that faith is, we're all given the same measure of faith. And that's, a, that's an argument that can be made. Some say, well, no, these are gifts here, and some are given extraordinary gifts of faith, and some people aren't given extraordinary gifts of faith. That guy's got unbelievable faith. Maybe you know those kinds of people. You're just around them, and you're going, their, their faith level is so high. They're, they always just can believe into something. And the question would be, well, God just gave them that kind of faith. I just can't believe like them. But is it also possibly an acquired thing? You know, it's pretty clear in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, what if you're listening to the Word of God? What if you're spending time in the Word every day? What if you're utilizing the Word in your life? What if you're acting on the Word of God in your life, and you see these things begin to explode in your life? Like, wow, there's really a God out there. This isn't just, a, just an idea. 
This isn't just a philosophy. God's engaging with me. I felt like he told me to do that. I did it, and then I saw this amazing fruit that began to explode out of that. The Lord told me to give this to that guy, and he said, I'd been praying all day that I would receive something like that. I had such a need, and then God told you, look, as you start to walk into this, I always, new believers, I always tell them, I said, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. You have no idea. The deeper you go down this rabbit's hole, this matrix, blue and red pill like Paul preached one time, the deeper you go down that, and we're using all kinds of movies here, but the deeper you go down that hole, the wilder it gets. And your faith grows with it. If you're not acting on the faith that you have, how are you going to acquire more? Do you spend time in the Word? Do you spend time, is this precious to you? Or is it, yeah, you know, well, I'll let Jeff maybe dispense a little bit on the days that are convenient for me to go. I want this to be your book. Your book. And your faith's going to grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So, next, praying. He also prayed that they would be so centered in God's love. I mean, that they would be controlled by his love. And first of all, it's God's love. And then he is, and, and so that they would understand the, the width and the height and the depth and all these things. Think for a second. How wide is God's love? Well, wide enough to cover the whole world. Now, my love is not. I have a hard enough time at, adequately, and I do it inadequately, loving my own family. I mean, biblically loving my own family. Now, the, word, the culture says, I love this because I have a, a deep passion, which usually is connected to some kind of sexual passion often, and, uh, and I love that. Or I love, now, today, we love toilet paper. We love everything. Everything's loved. Biblical love is what I'm talking about. Biblical love. What is biblical love? Well, I can bear, how wide is my love? That's why I'm saying these are God's riches. This is God's love in us. I, I so imperfectly love people. I so imperfectly. And it, it, sometimes I look and I go, my love is so shallow sometimes. I hate that. I want to love people in a more profound, profound way. How can I do that? God's love. And it's so wide. I mean, again, listen to the language that he uses here. He says, he says so that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of what? Of God's love. How wide is it? Well, it includes the whole world. How long is it? It sustains us our entire life. I think that's why Paul is using that. He's giving us some sense of height and width and depth. And, you know, ours can be shallow and not even three-dimensional at times. Very quid pro quo. You love me, you treat me well, I'll love you back. As we'll see here in a minute, the definition of love is something completely and utterly different than that. Jesus even used that language. People persecute you, pray for them. People cast insults at you, you pray for them. Lay down your lines for them. Well, that's not, that's not cultural love. That's biblical love. How high is it? It extends all the way to the heavens. I mean, all the way into the galaxies, into the, into the celestial beings, into, the, into stuff that just boggles our minds. I mean, it's just crazy. When I look out, I, I, I just love I love the Hubble telescope. I just love it because it just gives me glimpses into just part of the creation that go way beyond just what I can see, taste, touch, and feel on this earth. And I go, unbelievable. We are so... And then you start feeling very small. And then the Bible comes and it makes you feel small and then it turns around and makes you feel very large because 
God himself took on human flesh and came down and died for you. So this makes me feel small and it makes me feel large. Part of the family of God, I mean, how can you even wrap your arms around that, really? And how deep is it? God's love is so deep. I don't care how deep the valley you are in right now. I don't care how deep it is. His love extends into the very bottom of that valley. The very depth of any valley you'll ever walk through. The height of a mountain or the depth of a valley. That's how deep God's love is. And we know that. And we give all kinds of examples of Jonah and being in the sea. I mean, that's not only a story, but it's also a picture of us being thrown off and being cast down and swept down into the depths of the sea. It's exactly what Jesus went through himself, the picture of Jonah. Well, what is, what is biblical love? Well, I think many of you will know 1 Corinthians 13. I don't have time to completely uh, unpack this, but let me just read it and say, okay, that kind of love. That's got to be a God love. I don't have that kind of love. There's nothing in me that's going to inspire me other than dunamis, to be able to do this. I don't have the kind of force in my own character, in my own inward being. I don't have that force other than out of God's riches. I cannot do this alone. He says this, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, well, I've become a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. Isn't that that true? I mean, somebody with religion and without love, it's a horrible sound. It is a horrible sound. It's a disruptive sound. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the ministries, mysteries and I have all the knowledge, but if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I don't have love, well, I'm nothing. If I, have all, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, if I don't have love, well, it profits me nothing. What is love? Well, it's patient. It's kind. It's never jealous. doesn't envy the other person because love does not brag. It's, it's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. Anybody feeling that they're maybe not living up to the depths of love yet? It's never provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffer. It doesn't even take it into account. I'm, let me say that again. Somebody offends you, and it doesn't even take it into account. It doesn't get its big ledger, because we all have it. We all have ledgers with people. That's a human tendency. Here's my ledger with you. We've had you over to dinner three times. You've had us over to dinner none. Therefore, it's your turn. And if you don't, then this friendship is over. We've invited you. I paid for his last two green fees. He's never paid for a green fee for me. The ledger is not done. It's never, I, I've been, I'm being wronged socially. And, and, of course, these are shallow, shallow inconsistencies in our lives. But what about horrific, horrific debts that have been incurred? One of our friends that came this last week gave me her book and her story, and she challenged me to read it. And that rarely, rarely happens. She said, I want you to read this book because I'm given so many books. No offense, I'm given so many books. It is impossible. If I got home, if I, the second I got home on Sunday and started reading till the second I preached the next week, all the books that I was given, I wouldn't get them all accomplished. So sometimes they go into my library and then at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, hopefully sometime, it may be a year from now, but this, this gal said, look, I want you to read this book. And so I read it. It was the horrors of her, what she went through as a Croatian refugee 
and coming out of uh, Tito's horrific genocide that happened back during World War II. And then they escaped that and went across the border into Austria. And guess what was happening? Well, the British and everyone was bombing Austria to, to smithereens. What she went through for four or five years, I can't, it's, it's, it's indescribable. She does a beautiful job in this book of describing what she went through. She came up and gave it to me last week. I rarely read a book. I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. And I read all, uh, I, I skimmed a little of the first chapter and then I basically read the rest of the 250 pages. And I, I, I could barely put it down. And, and I sobbed at various points in this. And the, it, did you think she's going to need this kind of love, not even to take into account a wrong suffered? She was so violated, it was unbelievable as a refugee, as a child. How do you deal with that? I need, God, I need God's riches. This is the epicenter of this prayer. Oh, Father, that you would... Out of your supply, your love, not my own. Doesn't even take into account a wrong suffered. That's it. It's just almost impossible to understand. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It keeps enduring. It just endures. It's one of the things about faithful followership of Jesus over long periods of time. I want to hang with those people. I'm not talking about churchgoers. Well, people go to church for years. I'm talking about faithful people who are becoming more like Jesus each day, each day, each day. I was watching this thing on the, the Colts yesterday, you know, the Indianapolis Colts. They started out one in five, and then they came back, made the playoffs, and then won their playoff game yesterday. And it was, it was a pretty amazing story. And, and, I, and I, I didn't, I've actually not followed the Colts at all. I, didn't, I couldn't even have told you who their, who their head coach was. And it turned on, and they just showed this little clip. And something in my spirit says, that guy's a believer. That coach is a believer. I had no reason to. I didn't even know his name. I didn't know where he'd coached. I didn't know anything about his background. So I got handy, my handy Google, boop, 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 boop. I put it in, Frank Reich, the head, head coach. And I knew about Dungy and that kind of thing. But, and I knew he was an, just a real vocal follower of Jesus had won the Super Bowl. And, and I picked Frank Reich. Guess what? He played in the NFL, got out, went to seminary, and became president of a reformed seminary. This is an unbelievable story. I just couldn't believe it. I said, this is like a different guy. What is this? I couldn't believe it. Frank Reich is a... And then he, he finally left the seminary, got coaxed to coming back in, and, and now he's a head coach at Indianapolis. But it was the language he used. He said, We're, all we want to do is just get 1% better, just a little better, just a little progress. It doesn't matter that we're 1 in 5. Just give yourself over to the process. And Andrew Luck, his great quarterback, had bought into it and all this. And now they're thinking, man, these, this may be the best team in their whole division, in the whole conference. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in NFL. But it's just unbelievable. Just get a little bit better each day. Those are the people I want to hang with. The people that say, I don't expect to just, oh, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it handled. I know how. I, I got it. I, I read it. I read it. No, people are saying, no, 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 each day. I don't, I've been walking with him for 50 years. It doesn't I just, Lord, each day, just a little bit more of you and a little bit less of me. And, of course, that was the John the Baptist's prayer, that I might decrease, that he might increase. Pour me out, pour him in. Pour me out, pour him in. Now, the other people around you, they're getting the benefit of God in you, which is awesome for them and for you. Never fails. If there's gifts of prophecy, it's going to be done away with. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it'll be done away with. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, 
The partial is going to be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I become a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I have been fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide, all three, but the greatest of these is love. You know what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be like that. It's going to be like that. You want to live in that? I mean, you're just around a loving person and you just gravitate towards loving people, don't you? I mean, we do. Some people are able to love you and God's put them in particular places in your life and those relationships are so deep and so meaningful because they have loved you like that kind of love. Imagine an entire society built on that as its foundation. Welcome to heaven. Welcome to what Jesus went to the cross for, to purchase for you a sacrificial love. Lastly, he prays that they would be filled, filled with God's fullness. I love that. And that's essentially, he's closing how we have seen that before he kind of finishes with his doxological close here. Have, have you, have you, do you feel full? And I don't mean Christmas full, <laughs> Christmas cookie full. Most of our culture does not. And that's why you see this just hamster, just, just, I, I gotta, I, does it matter what I have? I've got to have a little bit more. I've got to have a little bit more. And we know that's true. It's the human condition. Because again, happiness is so relative. We talked a little bit about this on Thursday. Happiness, contentment is so relative. We get this car, we know we just a little bit better car, a little bit better. We want this, we want a little bit better. We want that, we want a little bit better. A little bit. And we constantly are looking to be filled. And this is the prayer that you'd be filled with God's fullness. I read this a couple of weeks back. I don't know how I came across it. came across my news feed. Remember, some of you will remember Dear Abby. I know some of the younger people won't, but you remember Dear Abby. People write in, newspaper, back when people used to read newspapers, they'd write into Dear Abby, the Dear Abby column, here's my problem, they would do it, and then she would give her, you know, her words of wisdom about what they should do. And Dear Abby became syndicated all over the country. Well, there's something similar to that called High Poly, I guess. High Poly, and this is, here's my problem. Here's, here's what I just read the other day, and I'm thinking this so much is a picture of kind of the millennials, but, but it's, it's not just the millennials. It just is in the language of the millennials, but it's, it's us. It was the baby boomers. I'm the very last year of the baby boomers. It's, it's, it's the World War II generation, baby. It's all that kind of stuff. We all have our, we're all looking for fullness, and humans have from all time immemorial. So listen, she says, I feel like a ghost we just stop right there. I just feel like a ghost. She says, I'm a 35-year-old woman. I have nothing to show for it. My 20s and my early 30s have been a twisting crisscross of moves all over the West Coast, a couple of brief stints abroad, multiple jobs in a mediocre role with no real upward track. I was also the poster child for serial monogamy, my most hopeful and longest-lasting relationship, three and a half years. Whoopee, she says. Ended two years ago, we moved to a new town, my fourth new city, created a home together, and then nosedived into a traumatic breakup that launched me to my fifth and current city and who knows what number job. For all these years of quick changes and rash decisions, which I once rationalized as adventurous, exploratory, and living an original life, I have nothing to show for it. I have no wealth. I'm not saddled with enough, excuse me, and I'm now saddled with enough debt from 
all of my moves, poor decisions, and lack of career drive that I may never be able to retire. I have no career milestones. I don't care for my line of work all that much anyway. But now it's my lifeline as I only have enough savings to buy a hotel room for two nights. I have no family nearby, no long-term relationship built on years of mutual growth and shared experiences, no children. While I make friends easily, I've left most of my friends. Behind in the city, I've moved from when they continued to grow, deep roots, marriages, homeownership, career growth, community, families, children. I have a few close girlfriends for which I'm grateful, but life keeps getting busier and our conversations are now just months apart. Most of my nights are spent alone with my cat. Cue the cliché. I used to consider myself creative, a good writer, poetic, passionate, curious. Now, after many years of demanding yet uninspiring jobs, multiple heartbreaks, move after move, financial woes, I'm quite frankly exhausted. I can barely remember to buy dish soap, let alone contemplate humanity or be inspired by these diaries I used to read. Honestly, I find artists offensive because I'm jealous and don't understand how I landed this far away from myself. Also, within the past year, I've had breast cancer scare, required surgery on my uterus due to a fertility issue. On top of that, I'm 35, and every gyno and women's health website this side of the Mississippi is telling my fertility is dropping faster than a piano falling out of the sky. Now I'm looking into freezing my eggs, adding to my never-ending financial burden in hopes of possibly making something of this haunted house and having a family someday with a no-named man. I'm trying, Polly. I am. I'm dating. I'm working out. I'm working hard. I'm listening to music I enjoy and loving my cat. I'm calling my mom. Yet I feel like a ghost. No one knows who I am and where I've been. I haven't kept a friend, lover, or foe around long enough to give anyone a chance. What is the point? I don't care for my job. I'm not building towards anything. I don't have any time or money to invest in what I care about. On top of that, society is telling me my value as a woman woman is fading fast. My wrinkles require Botox, reference said poor finances, all while my manager is asking me to finish that report by Monday. Why bother? My apathy is coming out in weird ways. I'm, now catch this, is she feeling full? She said haunted house. She says ghost. She calls, she describes her life as a ghost. So what is she going to try? Ghost, by definition, is someone that's not really there. You, you grab it. It's an apparition-like thing. So I'm drinking too much. And when I do see my friends on occasion, I end up getting drunk and angry or sad or both and pushing them away. And with men I date, I feel pressure to make something of the relationship too soon. Move in, get married. I have to have kids in a couple of years. Fun times. All the while still trying to be the sexpot 25-year-old I thought I was until what seemed like only, that seemed like only a moment ago. I used to think I was the one who had it all figured out, adventurous life in the city, traveling the world, making memories. Now I feel incredibly, listen to the language, hollow and foolish. And how can I make a future for myself that I can get excited about one of these wasted years? What reserves or identity can I draw from when I feel like I'm a, I've accrued nothing up to this point with my life choices? Now, as a pastor, first of all, I would grab one of my mature women in the church and I would want to connect them with coffee and then I would want to get her involved and I'd want to say, look, there is hope. There is God's fullness, God's riches, God's power, his dunamis, his, his, 
He can live in and through you and transform your life. Jesus used the language we all know well. Drink of this water and you will never thirst again. He's talking about a filling. Not only a filling, but a filling to overflowing. Is that possibly true? Yeah, I believe that's true. Now, what did Polly say? It was pathetic. I'm sorry. Hi, Polly. She talked about her own book and how she was being fulfilled with her new book tour. And she talked about the shame and you shouldn't have shame and all this other kind of stuff. It was just, I'm sorry, it just was. There was no substance to it. It was more, come on, just go faster. You know, just write a new book. Like she has time to write a new book. She can barely, she's, I'm just trying to get by. Jesus. Jesus is the answer to that. This prayer is all about being filled with God and being less yourself, being filled with you. You'll become more you than you've ever become. That's what this prayer is about. And the beauty of all this, you know, listen to the language. God uses this language over and over. Psalm 81 verse 10, listen. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God wants to fill you to full and overflowing. That's biblical Christianity. Psalm 107, 9, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. God is always good. If he fills you, it's always good. And yes, there is a process that he destroys the old you if you allow him. That's the pick up your cross and follow me. Those things that are hurting you, I want to decrease in your life. But we cling to those. If we think, if I'm this miserable with this little and I feel this unsatisfied, if I lose that, then I'm really going to be bad. And then we come and we listen to Jesus and it looks like he's taking that away, even the little that we have. But you don't see this gigantic cascading flow coming over the rocks about to fill your life if you'll only allow him to fill you. And it starts with, Father, forgive me. I, have, I thought I created my own life and my own idea. Father, forgive me. I bow my knees before you, Jesus. I trust that you died and were raised and you satisfied all the justice between me and God. And, and now I, I ask you to fill my life. Amen. Yeah, that's coming into the kingdom now. Now you're a son and a daughter, a co-heir. That's what we learned in the first three chapters. Proverbs 24, verse 4 simply says, And by knowledge, rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. Don't just think of material riches. These rooms in this house, we try to tell our girls all the time, if girls, you, I know you see deficits in your mom and dad. I know you do. But, oh, if you would have known us before we were filled. <laughs> you have no idea. There's no way we'd still be married. There is no way we would have still been married. Heaven forbid you'd have been, you might have gone through multiple dads. You might have been a, a child of single mother. Your dad might, I'd have been off. I, I, if I'd have still been alive, I don't even know if I'd have been alive, but we were filled. And no, we're not perfect, but we are so much more full than we were. And we're still being filled every day. 
I want it to crash over me. I want it to just be exuberant. And that's how he finishes. He says, and if we go back to the finish, he says, now, not only that, you think that's powerful? Listen to what God's going to do. I, I love the end of this. Listen to what he says. He says, now to him who is able to do even far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, his power, to him be the glory in the church. Even what we think is coming our way, it's going to be more. It's going to be more abundant. It's going to be more powerful. He said, I don't feel that in my bones. Death never feels that way, but it requires death at times to clear out the old so that the new can come in. Jesus used that language all the time. Do you feel? In 2019, what do you want for, from Jesus? Your request should be to be filled with his riches. I love this finish. I, I love the fact that this is the first sermon of 2019. It just happens to be. Oh, this prayer, Lord, that you would fill me with your strength, with your faith, Lord, and help, help me accrue more, that you would fill me with your love, your powerful, powerful, powerful love, all-encompassing, that I'd be able to love people. Lord, would you do that for me in 2019? We're going to close with this song. I'm going to come back. I'm going to have Pastor Paul come up and pray. We're going to close with this worship song. And the setting's beautiful. It's up on the mountain. We've, I think we've played it once before, or we've, we've worshiped to it once before. But listen to the language. She just talks about it crashing over. There's something that's overtaking, filling, over, consuming. We don't put God in a box and put him up on a Sunday on our calendar. He consumes us. He, he, he overtakes us. He floods over us. He, he, crashes, he crashes over us. Let's worship to this song.